This episode of Okie Podcast is brought to you by Southwest Trading Company. If you've not been to Southwest Trading Company, please go do that right now or after this podcast. But the location for Southwest Trading Company is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Southwest Trading Company has so many items from so many different artists like jewelry, art, blankets, cedar boxes, clothing, collectibles. You name it, they got it. So why not shop at Southwest Trading Company? Go like the Facebook page, follow the Facebook page. To keep up with all new events coming out the store and items. And once again, that location is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go check them out and let them know Russ from Okie Podcast sent you. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Okie Podcasts. On this episode, I have comedian, actor, writer, Sienna East is on the show today. How are you doing? I'm good, you know, just a a little scattered, but that's just how it always is. Uh, Hello, everyone. (laughs) I'm immediately scattered, 10 seconds in. (laughs) You haven't even asked me to say anything yet. I'm just like... I don't know. It's already lost. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how it goes. Uh, But, you know, I know you're very busy. And uh, but thank you for coming on, making time. I appreciate it, Sienna. And it's very nice to meet you um, over Zoom. Uh, So. (laughs) Amy, I mean, it's, it's so wild now. I met some people over Zoom and it's like, I wonder what the bottom half looks like. I wonder what their legs are like. Uh, you always wonder, and then you see them in person, you go, oh, they were tight pants, or oh, they were loose pants, or these are the things, I they were a lot of high-waisted pants. Uh, <laughs> this is what I've thought about a lot, because in the Zoom room, you see everyone here up, and then you go in mm-hmm. person, and then, then you see what kind of shoes they wear. It's it's a lot. <laughs> might have hooves. I don't know. You don't even know. <laughs> DW, dear woman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, She's in the Zoom room. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, so you're now. You said you were born in. Uh, what'd you say? West Hollywood. West Hollywood, California, is where I was born. Mm-hmm. And that's where you've lived your entire life, also. Uh, yeah. Basically, I was born here. I grew up here. I went to school in New York for a second. My parents said. I remember there was a bunch of study abroad programs that my college offered. And my parents were like, no, New York is your study abroad. You went abroad to New York, then you're coming back to L.A. Um, and so, yeah, I've lived in L.A. my whole life. Wow. Have you ever have you ever been in Oklahoma or anything? No, I've been in New Mexico. I have a lot of family in Isleta, and I haven't been to Oklahoma. My great-grandmother, uh, she kind of left there uh, and went and stayed in New Mexico. Uh, and then she was a super uh, cool killer lady, and then she moved to San Diego, and then she set up in LA and bought my parents uh, their first house because uh, she just she was this lady who just worked and hustled and saved. Uh, I say I hate saying was uh, she died a couple years ago, um, but she was a super badass who like um, was very much like about taking care of her family, and so like yeah, she was the best. Yeah, that's all they all are grandmas. Shout out. That's how Shout mine out. was too. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked because like when mine passed away, it kind of felt like like that glue was kind of just lost, I guess. Cause it kind of seemed like everybody kind of just shifted towards her 
when in certain moments, you know, she was that one to go to, you know, if, if uh, somebody lost their house or something, or if they're having hard times. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, it was weird that everybody just kind of split apart. I noticed that when I was growing up too, and everybody just kind of went their own ways, you know, and, but shout out to mine, man. She taught me a lot. She's like my best friend. And uh, I feel you. I feel you on just how awesome they are. They can be. Yeah, she was awesome and just uh, really just just ready to go. Like, that's what I would describe her. I remember she came and talked to my class, um, just about like she was just coming to talk to us basically about her life and her experiences because she'd seen a lot. But her big focuses were to tell us all to stay in school. Um, <laughs> that was a big thing. And I'm like, I am like at a, a Catholic school in LA. Like that's not, kids haven't even questioned that yet. They're like, there's other things you could do. Um, and also she taught me, she taught us all about how to skin a squirrel. Those were the two things that she decided my fifth grade class should know. <laughs> so everyone was like, your grandma's cool. Well, my great grandma, your great grandma's cool. And, um, uh, she was really, really cool. And like my mom, What's funny is like, she's super cool, super tough. And my mom's not native. My mom's white. My mom's super white, blonde and blue eyed. And she just thought my great grandma was just the shit. She was like, this lady, like, this is the kind of lady, like, I want to be like, just sturdy matriarch, like ready to go. So, yeah, yeah. that's, that's crazy. The skin of squirrel. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> what she told us in the fifth grade. It was one of the things that she was like, this is what I'll tell these kids. And the thing is, like, as soon as you bring that up, 10-year-olds like, tell us more, really? What else have you skinned? <laughs> That's what a 10-year-old cares about. Um, what else have you done? <laughs> skinning stuff. <laughs> Let's get deeper into this topic here. I mean, it's also a bunch of city kids, so no one's ever even like conceived this. They're like, "Oh my god, what?" Yeah, right. Yeah, so just a bunch of a bunch of city kids at a Catholic school are like, "Yeah, amazing." Yeah, <laughs> just like, "Whoa." <laughs> yeah, we don't know this kind of stuff. What people do this? Tell us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but um, she she was chalked on. Um, that, and her, her husband was Pueblo. And so like, but I'm Choctaw. And it's definitely interesting. Cause like you bring it up. I haven't been to Oklahoma and I haven't, cause I've been very few places, um, incredibly limited amount of places, but it's, uh, I think there's definitely something to talk about in the native community, especially in storytelling and how we tell them. I'm very interested in the function of diaspora in the native community and what that looks back like and what that reconnection looks like. And so like, my sister and I were going to take Choctaw classes and I say were because I did and she didn't. So I have no one to practice with now. Um, but like, uh, that was, uh, we really thought like our great grandma would like that. And it was a really, uh, I need to resign up for the next round, but, uh, really cool class, uh, where I learned a lot, but also it wasn't like, it felt like a native class in which, uh, our teacher was like, I'm going to talk and you're going to learn and you're going to take notes and you're going to figure it out. And that's how we do it. And so that was, a. I, I'm really interested in like, at least narratively, those conversations emotionally of like kind of the native diaspora and what that feels like. When did you start becoming interested in that? Um, I think I started t- um, really thinking about it when, cause like I, growing up, like basically my first school, I went to this public school that said that I would never graduate the eighth grade. And there was something deeply wrong with me. And I was an unintelligent child (laughs) Uh, because I barked all the time. So sorry. So um, then I became like a Catholic school, private school scholarship kid. And that puts you in a space where you are like very uh, alone. Um, except for like your family and your relatives. And you don't, uh, there, there were no other natives at my schools. Um, and then I went to college and I still felt that way. And, you know, you kind of just end up fighting people and arguing about racism, defending native shit, like all the time, you know, and then it became less of a defensive thing and more of a connection thing. When I moved back to LA and as an adult and started meeting all the different natives who live here with everyone, with their different stories and journeys and relationships to either the land that they had moved to or the land they were born on or, um, just the different uh, connections that we all had to our own identity, but also to each other. Right. And it really inspired me that like, I don't need to, that part of the experience isn't just like 
fighting people and telling them they're racist. It's a big part. I'll do that any day. I'll fight anybody and I'll argue in any classroom and that doesn't always go well. Um, but a big part of the experience is also that work to get back, you know, what has been taken and taken on a very literal level, but also, uh, taken on a time and survival level. Um, my great grandma, she was tough. My nana, my grandma, she, um, has a lot of mixed relationship to like how she kind of like, she, she grew up on the reservation in Nisleta and then she left and kind of what her identity felt like in that. And we've talked about it and the kind of loss of like how she felt like she was taking care of her family, but losing parts of her culture as like she was moving around and stuff. Um, and they're tough conversations to have. Um, and then they get even tougher when she goes, have you done the wordle yet today? And then gives you shit because you haven't done the wordle fast enough. Um, I don't know why I had to put a joke in there. I'm like, it's been too sad for too long. Uh, but definitely I would say like, after I moved back from school, that's when I started like going over and beating uh, with my grandma and try and trying to learn Choctaw, uh, Halito guys. Uh, and just really, um, finding joy in being native and not just, um, I'm holding up fists cause I don't have the word. I'm a very, I'm a very hands talker, but like, um, I was very protective and defensive and it was really great meeting other natives in LA, uh, who weren't in my family, who weren't my cousins or brothers or aunts or uncles or whatever, and getting to find joy in the experience. And it's been a big thing for me. Yeah. Totally understandable. Cause that's, cause I went to II in New Mexico in Santa mm -hmm. Fe. And that's how it was for me too. Um, cause I didn't really know much about my, my culture or like who I, my tribe was and all that. Mm -hmm. And then going there, I mean, there's just natives from all over everywhere. And I, I didn't like, and it was such a, intimidating thing because a lot of them knew who they were what their tribes did and mm -hmm. their history and their language and stuff and to me I was like damn you know I'm, I'm coming here and I have no idea what that is you know mm -hmm. and but I mean it was so welcoming they were welcoming and then nobody judged anybody like nobody ever said anything bad about you know me not knowing enough about who I am and my tribe and everything so and just meeting everybody and hearing their stories and what they came through and just having these talks and just being around these people for like three years. And I mean, it, it, like you said, man, it helped, it helped you find the joy and, you know, just being natives, like just that, not, that aren't your family. Cause that's who I grew up with. It was just mm -hmm. in a small town with people I always knew and my family and everything, but getting out of state, and then just learning, like you were talking about, like just that joy of being native, man. I mean, it's like, there's nothing like it. I wouldn't change it for anything. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I definitely, I wouldn't change it for anything. And I definitely want to be a part of the process of, of that welcoming, of that kindness, of that experience, of that connection. Um, and, and I, and I try to be, uh, constantly, my dad definitely, uh, felt distant, um, from being native and it made him like kind of like ashamed because like he grew up like on, on a bus and uh, he wasn't, and he, he would go back and visit and everything, but like uh, he wasn't like raised to like um, really, to really be like in and deep with his culture. And so it's definitely been like an experience of him too, like finding the joy and, and, and just the community and the kindness. And I, that's one of my favorite things about being native isn't, isn't just, um, the joy of it, but also the powerful community that when you meet someone and they're native and you guys talk and you know that like you've found someone that you, that understands you on a different level and is understands that your um, history is varied from them as all tribes and all people. We all have these varied histories personally and historically. Um, and is accepting of that. And it's, it's been a really wonderful way to like grow as a creative in LA specifically, because I've gotten to become friends and find community um, with my fellow native creatives and fellow natives in general. 
Yeah. And I was going to bring that to like, you know, you talk about storytelling and, you know, that's what you've gotten into, I guess I could say with being a comedian, you know, and a writer and working on a lot of different projects and everything. Um, and did you start doing that? Like as soon as you got back to LA? Uh, yeah, basically the goal for me was always to work in film and television. Um, my dad was an actor when I was little, I've been watching the Oscars since I was two. Um, like that's just, I didn't know that people, I, we didn't watch Super Bowl and I didn't know that people like didn't watch the Oscars every year. Like I could, like as a child, I remember people like being like two towers didn't get it. Um, Lord of the Rings didn't get it this year, but like next year they'll give it to Return of the King for all of them. And I'm like eight and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's that, that makes sense guys. Um, and so like, I always grew up knowing I wanted to do something creative and not really knowing in what capacity, um, in high school, I did a lot of like filmmaking stuff, but I was also like, my dad was like, okay, acting, you're going to study Meisner and it's only going to be drama and sad shit. And, uh, cause he was like a dramatic drama guy. And Meisner's a super serious, like old school acty thing, <laughs> old school acty thing. Uh, and when I went to college, I discovered, I, I, I was pretty sure I was a storyteller, but when I discovered I was a comedian and that's how I like telling stories and it's how I like performing in them, it changed the way that I was able to express myself. And so like, I knew I wanted to be in TV after going to uh, college. I like TV and I like film, but I think TV to me presents a question and film presents a statement. And for me, I feel like when I write a film, it's very much influenced by what I take away from TV, which is a very character-based storytelling. I like characters, I like really flawed characters, and I like um, being with them and having the story really focus on them. Like you can have cool plot elements and, and crazy shit can happen, but I am a character first bitch. And so uh, when I was at college, I realized that that's the kind of storytelling I wanted to tell, moved back to LA and just started hustling immediately. Office PA work, I started doing improv, my parents did not get that, stand up, writing, labs, etc. And just all of it until something clicked. <laughs> Whoa, man. Yeah, you hit it pretty mm -hmm. hard then. Um, I mean, because I seen uh, a couple of your bits on Instagram for your uh, comedy shows. And how long, like, when when did all that start? Like, what year was all that? That, um, the stuff that's on uh, Instagram is pretty recent. I think I did that last summer, uh, mm. like, the period stuff. But I started doing stand-up, like, when I moved back to L.A. So I was, like, 23, no, 23, 24. Because, uh, you know, that first year of figuring out how you're going to actually tell jokes, oh, it's hard, always oh, rough. I wouldn't say it was serious until, like, 23, 24. Um, and so it's been, like, Sitting here trying to do nine, I can't do math. I said I have a limited skill set. It's been like seven years I've been doing stand up now. And so I would say, like, the Good Medicine Showcase, which is run by Jackie, she's amazing. She's so funny. And she's out in Oakland and really about um, bringing all sorts of natives to come just be funny and do their shit. She's amazing. Um, that was last summer. Uh, if you're talking about the joke about me having sex in my period, <laughs> if that's the one we're referencing. No, I would not. Well, I've seen that one. Uh, great joke. <laughs> Thank you. <Nope. laughs> Everybody go check that out on Instagram. <laughs> it's on her reels. Uh, no, but I was uh, like, just, just in general, like when you started uh, comedy, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I guess a year, like you moved back and then you started everything you just said you were doing, you know, you, PA work and then mm -hmm. improv and then so it went from improv to comedy is that what uh, happened uh, I discovered I like comedy in college I went so I went to NYU and when I was there you get to make your films that's like what you do and I made mm. a drama film and it was bad it was not good I did not get how to do it I put a lot of jokes into it the tone was weird whatever I was like I don't know what I did wrong and then I wrote a comedy like a feature-length comedy and my teacher said to me and NYU is a super like indie school. And this was meant as a compliment, but he didn't want it to sound like an insult. And he was like, he goes, it's good. I dare say it's commercial. And like the whole room was like commercial. Um, but I love big, bold comedies. And that was how I realized how I could express myself, how I could talk about my things. Every single comedy I'm doing and everything I write is deeply connected to me and my relationship to myself and the people around me and what I think and how I perceive the world. Um, so as soon as that clicked for me, then I made a short film that was a comedy um, about a girl and her werewolf boyfriend. And she wants to know if he's 
having sex with dogs and what sexual fidelity means. <laughs> it was good. And I realized that it was how I liked telling stories. And it was also um, how I was good at it. It was a combo. Like I wouldn't like both those things work together. So when I got to LA, I was like, we're going hard comedy TV writer. That's the goal. And my parents were like, comedy, what TV, what What's improv? Um, my mom recently called me and I had to like re-explain improv to her again. And these are people who grew up in, L- who, who, no, they didn't grow up, but who raised me in Los Angeles, who were very aware of the industry, who watched the Oscars and they were like, comedies. We don't know what you're doing anymore. My mom was very wary of me being a comedian. She's like, it's just hard to think you'd go up there and like, you know, what if you don't do good? And I'm like, that, that happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's gotta be, I mean, for me, uh, I hosted a comedy show and that was terrifying. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm not a comedian, but I mean, I do say some funny stuff at some times, but it, it was hard to like, I guess I was just forcing a lot of that, like trying to force myself with material mm-hmm. when it should just like, when you think of something like, Oh, write it down. You know, I wasn't doing that. Cause a lot of people say like, Oh, I'll be driving and I'll think of something that's funny and I'll write it down. Right. But then for me, I, I remember I would sit down and just try to force myself with the pen and paper and be like, all right, think of something funny. And I just couldn't do it. And I think, so, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. But I just couldn't do it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, what you're saying is I think that's at least how I've ended up redigesting what I never sit down and think like, I'm going to write something funny or whatever. What I do is I have an idea for something and I'm writing it down and I figure out, all right, how do I workshop this? And you know, you do it in front of people and you write it again. I remember when I early did stand up, I was like, all right, this is going to be a crazy, crazy thing. I'll say never worked. But then I would like get upset about things and rant about them. And that wasn't quite right, but it was better. And you figure out like, how are you shaping my specific life experiences, ideas, and rants um, into, um, jokes and story. And that's very much like the job. And so as soon as it was just like, what's true to me, what do I want to talk about? Uh, it, it changed, it changed the way that I approach stand up. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing it for seven years. So, I mean, that's, that's a long, long time. I mean, what was your first, like, like, was it an open mic you went to? Did you just hit up an open mic and then just go from there? There's an open mic I would go to uh, whenever I could uh, after I was like when I was office PA and then when I was a writer's assistant, I would go to this mic at the kibitz room. Um, and it was where I really cut my teeth. And really, it was a bunch of old, old white guys and like me. Um, and some were nice and some were not nice. So, you know, it's a mixed audience and it was a really a room you had to work for. And it was an open mic I'd go and they had a competition for winning this banana um, and each week they would vote on someone and someone would get this little plastic banana. And then at the end, they were going to have a big showcase with this big banana. And I was struggling in the beginning. I go every week, completely new material. And the um, host, uh, Bert, he pulled me aside and he was like, Sienna, uh, this is a man I don't know. This is an old man I don't know. He's like, I don't know you very well, but like, what are you doing? You're bringing every new material every single week. Sometimes you bomb, sometimes it's good, but this is really hard. You realize some people like bring the same material and fix it every week, right? Like, are you trying to build an hour? He was like, what are you doing? And so he was like, how about you try some of the things that did work like again? And so then I started trying things that did work again and working on them. Uh, and I got, I got the, I got the first banana and I was like, great, the showcase is coming. So I got to be in the showcase and I, I won the showcase and I was super duper excited. Was it audience applause based? Yes. Did I have lots of friends and relatives who were like, well, let's see what she does. Yes. But they would have not laughed if I wasn't funny and they all laughed. And so I did win. <laughs> I won the banana. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like, I just love hearing like the the beginning of a a, a com a comedian. You know, their beginning story, and that's that's crazy. Like, you were doing would you say PA work, and and then you would do that the open mics with with that. So, yeah, every Tuesday, I'd run over there. I'd have my backpack. I'd be sitting there in a bar. I'd be like, I need a Coca Cola, please. And they'd be like, Who is this? And I'd be like, I just got off work. You know, I'm here in my backpack. <laughs> Uh, and everyone else was old. <laughs> There's a lot of old men. Uh, have you ever been to the Laugh Factory over there? 
Yes, I bombed. They have a... <laughs> I've been... I need to go back again, but like um, right before the pandemic, I went twice. Once I didn't get on stage because you can go and compete. Uh, not compete, but like they have everyone come do this mic and then they pick the best person they get to go on. And the second time I went up, I bombed so hard because like for some reason, I like, I'm, I'm a fool. I panicked and I was like, you know what I should do? Different jokes I'm making up right now on the stage. <laughs> uh, my material I worked on? Nope. And so I went up and I bombed hard. Uh... Which was, you know, I, I, I knew some comedians there and they're like, hey, that is a part of the experience. You go to the Laugh Factory and, and you bomb. And so uh, I bombed the Laugh Factory really hard. <laughs> what a time. Well, at least you went over there. I, I mean, I know a lot of people would just like to go over there and hell, fucking bomb, I guess. I mean, that would, I would, I would, if I was a comedian and I bombed <laughs> over there, I would, I would fucking brag about it. I'd be like, yeah, I went there. Yeah, I bombed. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bombed. Uh, but it was definitely, uh, I don't know, it was really great. I think it really helped me for the rest of more stand-up because I was like, I don't know, I've bombed Laugh Factory. I could care less anymore. Let's go. And I think that very often when people are watching someone get up on the stage, they don't they don't respond well to someone who comes up and is anxious about being on the stage. They want to feel relaxed. They want to be free. So when you go up and you're like, I don't know, take it or don't, then they're like, then they can relax. Uh, and then they can enjoy the show. And so uh, I learned that. And uh, I also, you know, I was like, I don't know. If I bomb at some bar, it's not as bad as bombing at the Laugh Factory. This little bar can take it. It's fine. <laughs> Now, is that the secret? You just <laughs> relaxed and you don't, I mean, take it or leave it for the audience and and then you'll, yeah. Yeah. I forget which comedian said you have to embrace the bomb, but it's one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much like with everything too. It's like, I mean, you could, people look at it like a bomb as a failure, but it's like, no, nah, I mean, yeah, it couldn't be, but it's like a more of a lesson as well. I mean, you could just go back and fucking rewrite stuff and try to but me like i'd be hella nervous dude i'd probably faint <laughs> if i were up there i don't know there's just something about seeing that laugh factory behind you and then like knowing like who's been there right like it would just probably freak me out and i'd just pass out or i'd fake pass out <laughs> i'd fake pass out just to get out of it <laughs> just get out of did this guy just fall on the stage on purpose? He keeps peeking at us as he's lying on the ground. Part of his bed. <laughs> it's, it's very experimental. I guess one of the things that has been helpful for me is growing up in LA, a lot of the stuff is demystified. My aunt lives next to the Lack Factory in an apartment building. And oh, so wow. I've seen it my whole life. Like it's, it's, I could walk there right now. It's walking distance. Uh, as a child, I thought it was an ice cream shop uh, and I really wanted to go there. Cause it has a big pink circle. And I was like, obviously this is an ice cream shop. It was not. And so, um, while I was excited and, you know, uh, um, pumped to be there. I also feel like everything that's a little bit like magical about LA, Hollywood media, whatever is like a little bit less magical for me. I'm like, I don't know. This place is next to my aunt's house. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool though. Like you're just so used to it, I guess riding by it or walking by it and it's yeah it's right by your aunt's house but yeah i mean here like in uh like written res reservation dogs have you watched that yeah of course i've watched it's the best show yes <laughs> that was a joke oh, that was a joke no but uh, <laughs> uh that was a joke sienna uh <laughs> no but like me and my buddy were talking and he was saying you know how their dream was to go to california right and then he was saying, is that like every Oklahoma person's like dream growing up? Because that's that was my dream, too, <laughs> was to go to go to California and live there. And then I told him, I was like, yeah, bro, I wanted to do that, too. But I ended up staying with my brother for maybe three months over there. And he would talk about how expensive it is. And like I, at that time, it was like a bunch of crime and then like just pretty much the same stuff like as you would live here in Oklahoma, I guess. Just the same because, mm -hmm. I mean, you see it on TV and stuff and it looks so magical and it just looks like where anything is possible. Right. And so that's why I wanted to go there was to, I don't know, be in movies or do something cool. But then after like being with him for like those three months, I was like, 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> kid still. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. But there is there. I mean, it's taken me a long time to accept that L.A. has some sort of promise of at least media wise of magic and fame and fulfillment. I didn't realize that for a long time. I only watched Entourage in November. So, so I was late to the perception of LA outside of LA. Um. That show too. I used to watch parts of that show and then that show just, uh, yeah. Entourage. It was like, Oh man, that'd be so dope to be over there. But yeah. So I just ended up going to Mexico and staying coming back here to Oklahoma and then I mean there's so much like it, it was it's cool to see like so much I guess I don't want to say like I don't want to sound old like times are changing but like I guess the representation of like us like natives indigenous people and everything you know and you being a part of that you know with your comedy and then you worked your way up from being a PA to now like you know you've always been writing and making your own like films short films and everything but you know i you know i've i've seen you with uh it says you're writing a oh a rom-com is that what i read yeah, yeah uh rom-com. writing a rom-com and that's mm-hmm. been a really cool experience uh uh is really cool and so it's been really great and all of bridge i love them so much and so i've been writing this rom-com um which is interesting how like Maybe because it, it, it sounds cool and it is cool and I love it and I'm super excited about it. I'm really excited for, for like, we'll see it and that kind of stuff. Um, it got in that little Netflix an- announcement thing we put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's funny because like the way I met those people, like I'm maybe it's because I'm so demystified to Hollywood. It's like it, it didn't mean for that project. What happened was a different project that I handed them. And, and then they were like, oh, we'll meet on this thing. And so it's it's interesting uh, and uh, pitch on this story how. Um, it really is like this kind of constant shuffle of like you're moving forward and one project leads to the next project and you're really bringing your perspective and experience and you're building these relationships. And so, uh, yes, uh, now I'm, I'm writing movies and TV and I'm, it's, it's really exciting. And it's been, it's sometimes I forget that it's exciting. Cause I'm just like, I just gotta do it. We gotta do it right. We gotta do it correct. I gotta, I gotta check this. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm a very like, uh, I zero in, and so I don't think about the larger thing. Even now I'm like trying to like minimize it, but it is, it's, it's super cool. Uh, the, the journey. And at least for me and my storytelling, you know, I can only tell the stories that I know how to tell. And uh, I think knowing that has really freed me to be able to tell all kinds of stories. That sounds like it's antithetical, but I swear it's not. What all have you worked on? Um, I worked on Clone High, which was a really wonderful experience. Uh, uh, Phil and Chris won't listen to this. I was super excited because Lego Movie, all their stuff was my favorite. Kind of, it was all my favorite stuff. Every year, I'd post Lego Movie show in Best Picture. Like, uh, and I loved Spider Verse. I loved everything they've ever done. And so, um, I was super excited to get to work on Clone High, and it was a really, really amazing experience. Where, like, it was my first staffing job because what happens is, like, you basically interview to write on TV shows. They read your stuff, then they meet you and you talk and they decide whether or not. And I met with the showrunner and Erica's amazing and super supportive. And uh, she liked me and my writers, my, my boss when I was a writer's assistant recommended me. And so my first job was staffing on Clone High, uh, which I learned so much as a writer, but also was really trusted um, and valued in a way where like, cause not all writers rooms, uh, allow everyone to always be sharing their ideas and writing scripts. But Clone High was such a positive experience for being allowed to say my piece and share my ideas and write and really be involved in the process all the way through. And so Clone High, it's animated, animation's a whole thing. We all know my parents are always like, so when are we gonna see it? And I'm like, stop calling me about this. We have other things to talk about. Um, And now I'm on this Fox show called Grimsburg. Uh, which is also great. I'm working for the boss that I worked for. He was my, when I, he, when I was a writer's assistant, he was my boss, Chad. And now he is my boss again on Grimsburg and he's the best boss. I've been really lucky to have good bosses. Uh, I know not everyone has these stories, but I've only had bosses that have really supported and emboldened me as a creative and writer. 
Man, that's always good. I mean, mm-hmm. like that's that's pretty cool. What was this? Grimberg? Was that the Grimsberg? Also Grimsburg. animation. Also, you haven't seen it. It hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, uh, those are um, the TV projects I've worked on, and then uh, also working on you know my own stuff, uh, developing my own stuff, the feature that I'm writing, and I'm really excited about. And my stand-up stuff, in which uh, I'm starting to host my own show with my friend Miles, who I met on Grimsburg, and my friend Ben, who I make all my shorts with. And so the three of us have been working on a stand-up show in which we highlight comedians that, like, we specifically are excited about. Because there's so many comedians I get excited about. And I'm like, you gotta, you gotta listen to this guy. You gotta hear this guy. I've been stalking this guy's YouTube page. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that's also been a really cool and a very different experience. Like writing is one experience and you write and you work with other creatives and you edit and you, and all these things, you know, but putting on a show, thinking about a space, thinking about how people will feel in that space. And your lineup of comedians is a, is a different skill set that I am learning. Uh, Luckily uh, our friend Miles, uh, he is a, like a sketch guy and he's super, about what does the experience feel like? What are the seats like? What is the space like? Um, and the, we host it in his backyard, which is great. And it's a super cool spot. He's like, it should feel cool. And the thing was my friend Ben and I weren't thinking about that. We're like, just find a bar, any bar. And we found this bar um, and it's a nice bar. So I won't out the bar, but we found this bar. It had outdoor space. We're like, great, this is the best. It's got a little stage. And we took uh, Miles there and he said to us, we cannot do the show here. It's the worst vibes. He goes, this is a bar where cops come to retire. What are you thinking? And he got so mad at us. Uh, and so that's been a definitely a different experience in thinking about um, live comedy and how live comedy functions, especially when you're not just the person who shows up, says jokes and balances. Mm-hmm. How many com- uh, comedians do you usually have when you host these shows? Uh, we do like six to seven, you know, mm. in my head, you want to do a show where people are having a good time. And I think you want to yank out right before people go, why am I still here? <laughs> That's what we want to get out. I'm like, we never want anyone to be sitting there being like, this is still happening. We want to keep them nice and, and alive. So we do like six to seven comedians. Mm-hmm. What's the time? Like the the material time, I guess, for them? Ah, seven minutes, but it's loose. Seven you know, minutes. if someone's if someone's rolling, someone's got something going on, I'm not going to be a, a dick about it. Yeah. But like seven minutes is great because 10, you're asking like someone to come in and be like, okay, I'm really ready for this. And five is like too tight. I think seven's a nice loose middle to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the longest you've ever had to be up there? Um, 25 minutes. 25? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Oh, I, okay. 45 minutes on Zoom. I did a 45 minute show on Zoom Whoa. during the pandemic for college for um, Native American Heritage Month, of course. They're like, I don't know. Does she want to come do 45 minutes? And I was like, Sure. So I did 45 minutes for a college over Zoom, but in live and human person, uh, 25 minutes, uh, which I did uh, at Good, the Good Medicine Showcase and I've done it at the Hollywood Improv. And so, uh, yeah, that's like the, the longest. And I, I, it's, it's a nice amount of time to be up there. I remember the first time I was like, 25 minutes, okay. And I scraped together all my material. I'm looking at all of it. I'm like I got five here, I got five here. Uh, but then I realized I had to start putting less in my stuff because I really tightly, like I rehearse it. I And I, I would be really tight with it all. But you have to be able to be present with people and relax and let them laugh and react to them. And so then I was like, okay, I don't need to jam pack this. Maybe I don't need to scrape together everything I've ever said and fit it in 25 minutes. Maybe that's not the way to do this. Man, 25 though, that's 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 pretty. How many times have you done that? You said twice? A couple, actually. I uh, The only ones I'm thinking about right now are like Good Medicine and Improv, just because like Good Medicine's film and Improv I just did a little bit ago. And also, I didn't know I was going to do 25 at the Improv. It was just like, do you want to do the Improv? And I said, yeah. And I was like, I wonder if it'll be 10 minutes. Ah, I have 10 ready. And then they were like, 25. And I got there and I was like, ah! Uh, but that was the, I think that was the show also where I learned like I don't need an insane amount of material because part of it is being like, loose and present and letting people laugh. That was another thing at the kibitz room. They were like, you really run through jokes. A laugh takes three seconds. You need to time three seconds after your jokes, at least to let them land. Like by the time a joke's landed, you've decided you're doing the next thing, which sometimes you can do on purpose, you know, to like shake things up, but you know, that should be a purposeful decision. 
man how how was that uh on zoom what did you what were your thoughts about doing that zoom helped me grow a lot in a weird way in which mm-hmm. at a zoom show you can't be looking at the audience for energy for approval hoping they get it you know at a zoom show you have to be confident this is the material saying you might get some head bob laughter that's muted because they tell everyone to mute you know um but you have to be committed to what you're saying and so i came in and i and i think this is why sometimes i I open shows you know um i don't need the audience to rev me up i can get there myself because like at a Zoom show, you're coming in revved, you're coming in ready to go, you're confident in your jokes. And so it was a, it was a good show. And I talked a lot about like, uh, it, it was comedy and I put some storytelling in there to kind of like uh, play on it a little bit, like stories my grandmother had told me, I brought some of those in there and I combined that with I had just been dumped. So I talked a lot about being dumped. And the funny thing about a Zoom show is people will message you privately and a lot of them were like, great show. Sorry you got dumped. Like, I got like 10 messages that were like, sorry you got dumped, but this was fun. <laughs> Hope you're okay. <laughs> I had I screenshotted them. They're somewhere in my computer because I was like, this is pretty funny, at least to me, uh, that I'm being pitied by these people after doing 45 minutes of stand. Like, funny, but like, you know, ho- hope you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> broken heart emoji i think there was a broken heart emoji i was like (laughs) love your support guys (laughs) man yeah i've heard of uh some comedians too they talk about um they had to do zoom because that's when they first started doing comedy and so they didn't because of the shutdown and everything they couldn't go anywhere and so um i had a few that said yeah that's how i started and it was just a room full of people like you were just explaining, but they only did like three minutes, maybe five, but 45. That's, that's insane. Did you just sit there or did you stand up? And um, I sat cause I have yeah. been doing zoom comedy while standing up, but I almost felt to me like the standing or the sitting isn't even for the audience. It's just for how you want to feel. Uh-huh. And I was like, I think this is going to feel like a show where the guy gets on the on the stool and he's got a water like that was the energy I wanted to bring so I sat for that <laughs> and then so and you talk about storytelling is that is that um new for you too uh, uh not really to incorporate it with everything I mean I know you have with writing and everything but I mean like because you know we got people that strictly do like storytelling you know these storytelling events and everything and so are you trying to go that route as well just straight up storytelling uh no i don't think so i just think because of the way that i approach um comedy that sometimes storytelling naturally comes up and i know it's not the time and place for everywhere like sometimes it's like it's a funny story that i have written and workshopped and developed and really thought about and played with you know um so it's got jokes and it's present but it's it's more story than stand up and i know that's not always the time and the place and i was like this 45 minute comedy native american heritage month thing for a college feels like the place where i can do some storytelling <laughs> um and so uh yeah, and I, and I like telling stories also because for me at least, uh, comedy is fun because comedy is about consciously thinking about things, digesting things and your relationship to them and then playing on other people's relationship to them, right? But storytelling is just remembering and keeping a moment. Uh, and that is uh, important to me and it makes me feel good and I like to keep those things alive, whether I'm talking about um, like my family or my experiences uh, there's a time and a place, but it's definitely an art form that I'm interested in. It's it's somewhere almost between it's somewhere between writing a TV show and telling a joke. Um. Yeah, I got to get better at storytelling. I mean, like I'm okay. I get at it, I guess, because I have this other podcast called Unsolved Mysteries of the Reservation, and we do a lot of like Native folklore and mm-hmm. Native legends and stuff. And uh, I always forget a lot of the things that I see I've seen growing up or just other people's story that they've told me. And I end up like just having to pause for a bit and I hate doing that. And I'd rather just 
not get through it, but, you know, I guess pace myself enough. I need to practice more on doing that. I just need to calm down and do it, you know, because yeah. here, you know, I'm calm with people I'm talking to, but sometimes it feels like I'm kind of like on the spot when I have to like, I don't have to, but bring up a story of like these legends or something. And, and it just, I don't know. It doesn't scare me or terrify me. It just, I don't know. I just try to, I just get my own head of getting through it, I guess. I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up too much. So I just, I try to rush through it. See, I think you just have to trust and be comfortable that like the thing you're sharing is going to mean something, if not to the other person, at least to you in that moment and letting yourself kind of be in that. And maybe part of the reason I storytell, like now I think about it, like it's, it's a big part of like my family and how like, uh, I remember being told stories of my parents and stuff and, and their lives. And my dad has this one story he loves to tell where my super nana, my great grandmother, she took him on a Greyhound bus trip. They were going, they had like some cheap ticket and they were going to go to New Mexico and, and all this kind of stuff. And my dad had found this cricket that he loved and he was obsessed with it and he was taking care of it on the Greyhound bus. It was like his main focus or whatever. Um, and he loved it and he carried it on in his hand and, my super nana was like, okay, like my great grandmother, she was like, okay, yeah, um, this kid's got a cricket, that's fine, and really fine with him and all that kind of stuff. And one day they stopped at a place when the bus stopped or whatever, and my dad uh, gets off the bus and my great grandmother can't find him anywhere. She doesn't know where he is. She's looking around for him. And I guess he had just walked a little bit away and she finally finds him and she grabbed him by the arm and was like, where'd you go? And he panicked and he crushed his cricket oh. and he cried and he cried. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I was just scared. And he was like, I was just, you know, standing outside with my cricket, just getting at some grass. And so <laughs> the story, uh, and so then he gets on the ground bus and he cries. He doesn't find a new cricket. Um, cause he didn't want to, but I, I, that was like a big story of my childhood was that this long story of my dad getting lost, uh, my great grandmother thing is she lost my dad and him holding this cricket in his hand for like a week and taking care of it and then smashing it in his oh, fist. <laughs> and I love a story like that. That to me is like both funny and really sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, I mean, like, you know, that, that's a great story. <laughs> you, know, you tell it very well. Um, but yeah like you said just have that confidence to i mean just because yeah it means a lot to you right so i just have to oh i don't know what it is i have no idea but i just practice more i guess i mean practice makes perfect yeah and tell stories that you love because like I'll, let me put it this way even if you got bored hearing that story i was like i like it and i'm gonna finish it because i like the end and so if i'm telling that story for anyone it's for me uh <laughs> and maybe that's what makes me push through <laughs> have you uh have you got to like i guess headline any shows uh not yet you know uh i've i've done shows but i'm never the headliner but also like I've had like really cool headliners like um, uh, uh, Damon Wayans Jr. He did the improv and that was pretty cool. Oh, uh, yeah, I was I was my dad went by and he wanted to take a picture of the sign with with all our names on it. But it wasn't it didn't look good. And then he gave up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like, it was, like, would it be cool to headline? Sure. Yeah. But I love that I'm getting to be in spaces uh, with comedians that like I'm excited about or passionate about, or that make me on a level feel legitimized. Like we had Brian Bahi do our first full hog show, the stand-up show he headlined. And I was so, he's the funniest. He's the best comedian. He's so fucking funny. And um, he's the best. And I remember my sister came up and she's like, oh, you got Brian Bahi. And like, we were all buzzing and everyone who didn't get it, they learned by the end of the show that he's the funniest. Um, and so to me, it's really exciting just to, like be in spaces with comedians that like are doing their shit and legit and cool. And it makes me feel good mm -hmm. to like be sharing those spaces, that stage time. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always great to like look back. I mean, because just to have like you said, share these spaces with the comedians or like the different writers you come across or actors. And I mean, you've done so much, you know, in this amount of time. And I know like you've also been in some, um, or you've, you've made your short films and then there was a music video. I think I seen you in or yeah. Yeah. 
and you were in that beautifully shot music video. Uh, I, for, I forget the artist's name. Um, it's Ray, Ray Zaragoza. She's um, amazing, yes. native singer, just great. And her brother, Roman, he's in Ghosts. And he I, he was the one who was like, oh, we should have Sienna be in this. She's I see her be ridiculous on Instagram. So they asked me to be in it. And it was a one-day shoot that we went, like, all over. Um, and it was a really, like, a, it was it was a cool shoot day. And I was really lucky that they asked me to, like, be a part of it. Yeah. Great video. Uh, I'm going to check more of her music out. But see, like, I mean, just by checking that out, I, I've um, discovered a new artist to check out, you know. And just to listen to more of that music. And, yeah, um, I've seen him on Ghost, man. That's pretty cool, too, mm -hmm. to see him on Ghost. And uh, just, yeah. I mean, like, but like we were saying, like, just all this, like, representation and everything. And, I mean, just the positive effect it's having everywhere. And sharing these spaces with these people. And, I mean, you look back on that and just think back of, like, damn, like, I work with these people. Like, I was on the same lineup. I was hanging out with them or you know, selling jokes with them, you know what I mean? Like that's, and I look at stuff like that too. It's like, it's, oh, it's cool to see just everybody out here just getting what they earn, what they deserve, what they earn working, working their asses off. Right. Like that's, it's so powerful to see that, you know, and coming across you, it was like, it was really awesome to see everything that was written about you and the comedy you do. And now like just knowing who you knowing who you are and like you're hosting shows and everything and you're just keeping it going. Thank you. That's so nice. I mean, yeah, I, the, what's lucky about it is like, you're like the, the work and this and that, you know, but the thing is like, also like, I feel like I'm cheating. Cause like, I like the work. I love writing. Mm -hmm. I love telling jokes. I love putting things together. So like, uh, and maybe that's why I don't think about it that way on a level. Cause I'm like, I just, it's, it's really exciting that I keep getting to do the things that I love that make me happy that are in my very small skill set that I have. Um, my mom loves to tell me how small my skill set is. <laughs> um, but I've, I've been really lucky and fortunate to get to do that. And I don't think I get to do it in the way I have been able to like, if there weren't native creators, artists, writers, showrunners filmmakers really grinding away really building that 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 table really creating um the spaces and uh, and every time i meet someone i'm so fortunate to because they are welcoming and present and and are excited for more different types of native stories to be told and that's something i'm excited about too uh because at least when i go and i talk to people you know i explain like very much like what my native experience is what my life is and that's the story i can tell and it's a native story and maybe it's not the one uh that you pictured immediately but like that's what i got and it's what i want to share and it's what i'm digesting and talking about and so i feel really lucky not only to like you know have put in the work and be doing things i like but that um creators were able to like create that space and that world and that conversation for me to be a part of yeah and then like you said you love to do this and that's how that's how it goes i mean that's what they always say find something you love to do and just do it and you'll see whatever whatever comes after that you know as long as you love it just do it and that's that was hard for me to learn too it was always like growing up it was like oh you got to you got to be a doctor. You got to, you got to get a job and do, you know, think about retirement and stuff. And it's like, damn, man, that's stressful. Like, <laughs> and then like, you know, finding something you do. And that's why I try to say, man, is like, just find something you love to do, you know, and maybe do it as a hobby at first and, and then watch it grow, you know, and in, into something, you know, like, like comedy, like go to open mics and do, do the, do the work. And if you love it, like, yeah. Hell yeah, I keep doing it, but you know, never get discouraged if you bomb. You know, I mean, that's that comes with it. That comes with everything. Bombing. Oh yeah, and like things being good or things being bad. Like making a bad short film and then making a good one. It's I realized that was just going to be life. And it's I had a teacher who told me, and I thought this was always helpful. That really, what makes someone a good artist is taste, because there's going to be a huge difference between what you're able to do and your taste at first. And so someone who has good taste and 
good opinions and stuff is going to look at their stuff that's bad and see what parts are good and see what parts are bad and learn how to grow or as opposed to someone who's like, this isn't perfect. Start over. This isn't perfect. Start over. Or someone who's just willing to be like, well, I don't know. That's good. I think that's good. And so they talked a lot about, uh, that idea of good taste and how that carries you forward. Uh, just because you're going to make bad things and you're going to make good things and you're going to be able to need to discern when and why those things are happening. Right. And so that was really helpful to me early on to hear from a teacher that that was like the real deal. Just because my short film was a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good that I noticed that. It's good that I thought, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing? How do I do it? And also like, what kind of stuff do I want to see? Because I made something I didn't want to see. I was like, I don't know, this is serious. And then I made something I wanted to see. And at the final year of NYU, like you pitch your film and basically some people will get the cameras and some people won't. They pick them or whatever. And I went up and I pitched hard. I said, and then, you know, she stalks her werewolf boyfriend and they go to the werewolf orgy. And then, you know, you see the shadows of, and I made sound effects with my hands. And it was the story I wanted to tell. It was the pitch I wanted to do. And then I got to do it. And that was exciting. And I think part of the reason that it's fun and part of the reason that's good, like it's flawed. I made it when I was like 22. It's not perfect. Um, but the things that made it good were because I liked doing them and I thought they were funny and there were things I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's good. Um, uh, advice from your, uh, teacher. Was it your teacher? It was my teacher. I love to, yeah. this is my, uh, robbing NYU. I always just take the things teacher said and I'm like, everybody hear this for free now. It's just take it. I'm in debt, but, but you should have this. <laughs> I thought this was good. <laughs> <laughs> Take this for nothing. <laughs> take it, take it, take it. I'm in debt, but we have to make this worth worth the amount of debt. Pass it to more people. Pass it around. Pass it around. <laughs> <laughs> take this knowledge. <laughs> That's awesome, though, man. Yeah, I always love to hear stuff like that. Um, just very inspiring and not so just like talk about failure and how bad it is. I mean, like, I mean, I I grew up with that, but just god being 30 now it's like different it's so different now you know to just embrace the failure is what i try to do i don't try to get discouraged about it but man great advice from that teacher shout out thanks for the free knowledge i appreciate it (laughs) shout out that teacher if i was a better student remember maybe i remember their name but i'm like shout out shouts out to that teacher Oh my gosh. Well, um, we'll go ahead and cut it here. And if you want to let everybody know your next shows, a lot of more, a lot more things you got coming up if we didn't get to cover it and, uh, where to follow you and keep up with you. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Sienna East. That's at S I E N A E A S T Instagram, Twitter, uh, our standup show full hog it's uh, at Full Hog on Instagram, F-U-L-L-H-O-G, Full Hog. Uh, and, you know, there'll be shows coming up. Keep an eye out for, you know, Clone High and all that kind of stuff. But also, you know, if, you wanna, if you're around in L.A. and you want to come to a free show in someone's backyard with a great lineup, uh, you should come to Full Hog. <laughs> I'm selling. I bought 60 chairs. We got the chairs. We Last show was amazing. We filled out the whole backyard. It was great. Um, tons of people came. Super funny. Everybody had a good time. Did the cops come at the end? Yes. Did everyone have to leave at the end? Yes. But that's only because after 10, you can't be loud. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, those are places you can check out my stuff. And hopefully, uh, I'll see you at Full Hog. I don't know. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been, Yakoki, it's been amazing, uh, space and, and a great time. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, making times. Like I said earlier, I really do appreciate it, Sienna and everybody go check her out. Follow her on Instagram, check out the show coming up. Don't be loud after 10, please. And, uh, check out Oki podcast. If you have not yet, wherever you listen to podcasts and unsolved mysteries of the reservation, uh, follow Oki Podcast at Oki Podcast on Instagram. My personal on Instagram is at Rustimus49. Check me out on Facebook, Russell Sun Eagle. And check out Oki Podcast on Facebook. 
Follow Unsolved Mysteries of the Reservation on TikTok at reservation underscore mysteries and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit that bell notification um, and be so it'll remind you when we drop some new stuff. But thank you again, Sienna. Uh, Till next time, everybody. Peace. Peace out.